Welcome, True Believer readers, to Let's Read Peter Parker and the Spectacular Spider-Man, a division of Let's Read Spider-Man, a proud member of the PaceBot Patreon Podcast Network. The PaceBot Patreon Podcast Network is home to many great podcasts. One that might interest you is a podcast about how to stay out of jail. Uh, I don't know if I need that, but uh, it's helpful for some people, I guess. <laughs> Join the shocker as he explains all the ways to commit crimes for someone, and then if you get caught, how to blackmail that someone by having a contract with them showing that they hired you for the crimes and videotaping them in your office so they have to keep you out of jail or else. Listen to Keep Me Out of the Cell or I'll Be a Sellout. Thursdays at 10 a.m. on the PacePot Beach on Podcast Network. That's That seems too clever for the shocker, but I maybe his quilted outfit is sinking into his brain. I, I can't get enough of that outfit. So I endorse anything the Shocker's doing. Uh, today, uh, we are going to return to Gene DeWolf, who is no longer with us, James B., killed by the villain who will be eventually called the Sin Eater. Sin Eater also killed a judge very recently. Yeah, and Eddie, we're doing parts two and three of a four-part story today, so we're not even going to be able to wrap it all up. This book that we're talking about was from November of 1985. Stanley presents Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man 108, The Death of Gene DeWolf, Part 2, Sin of Pride, by Peter David, penciled by Rich Butler, inked by Brett Breeding, Joseph Rubenstein, Kyle Baker, and Pat Redding. There's a lot of inkers on this one. All right, Eddie, don't be like the guy in Chasing Amy putting down the inkers. James B., I I love the inkers. (laughs) Uh, Once again, we begin our book with a victim. Judge Rosenthal, murdered by the Sin Eater in his own court chamber. In one of the more dramatic fights we've read, Aunt May, Ernie Popchick, and Peter are caught in the commotion on the street as a Sin Eater flees the scene. Yeah, and quick note for the listeners who are probably not looking at this book right now. In the commotion, they have actor Charles Bronson, who plays a vigilante in the 1982 and 1985 Death Wish 2 and Death Wish 3 movies. He's in the crowd on page three holding up a newspaper that says Vigilante Strikes Again, which is a light moment in a very serious book. I'm so happy you're here to clarify that, James, because I couldn't do that, and I knew you would, so thank you. (laughs) Uh, Well, when Spider-Man attempts to stop the shotgun-wielding criminal, the Sin Eater's shotgun blasts, striking bystanders in the crowd. Enraged, Spidey attacks. But when Sin Eater reveals he has DeWolf's badge, Spidey is shaken when he realizes he's fighting Gene DeWolf's murderer here. I always like when his fighting ability is thrown off in some unusual way, and this is a weird thing to have happen to him. The two brawl until Spidey spots Aunt May potentially wounded on the ground. Sin Eater escapes, and it turns out Aunt May is fine. (laughs) <laughs> just just there to make you feel like there it's a Spider-Man go. story. <laughs> Spider-Man throws a tracker on the Sin Eater, but the villain notices it and brushes it off. <laughs> yes. Uh, Daredevil also shows up too late to help. Get used to this. As he had a difficult time finding a place to change in order to keep his identity private. Well, Spider-Man swings to the police station to talk with the lead investigator, Stan Carter, Snarky Carter explains what a Sin Eater is to Spidey. A Sin Eater is a folklore creature culturally from the Ozark Mountains, roughly in the state of Missouri. Carter also tells him he's a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Carter then slyly says to Spider-Man to go to DeWolf's apartment 
and look for things the police missed. It was clever writing by Peter David to have the reader believe that Spider-Man might find a clue there when really David just used it as a plot device so Spider-Man could figure out that the wolf was secretly romantically interested yes. in him. Yeah, remember, she's never revealed her feelings to anyone but the reader in Thought Bubbles. So uh, in this moment, Eddie causes a flood of emotions for uh, Webhead. Yeah. Uh, the next day, Matt Murdock attends the funeral of Judge Rosenthal, while Peter attends DeWolf's funeral across the graveyard. Murdock recognizes the killer's heartbeat within the crowd, but misses the chance to catch him. At the end, Sin Eater strikes again, this time slaying a priest. Oh, what a surprise. Murdock has a third opportunity to get involved, this time to stop the Sin Eater, but he doesn't because, here we go again, he can't reveal his powers when he's not in his Daredevil costume. Um, boy, Peter David laying into uh, Daredevil here. He's hammer home. He's hammering home this reoccurring theme of secret identities throughout these books. We'll focus on Daredevil being useless as Matt Murdock here. He's getting blamed for helping criminals get off. He's not being useful as an eyewitness. And he prevents Daredevil from capturing anybody because he's always in the wrong form. So what a True. mess. What a mess. I had real, like emotional thoughts when Matt Murdock stood by and let Sin Eater blast the judge because he was like, oh, I can't reveal myself. I mean, it was only Matt Murdock on the judge considering that Peter Parker is now, so many people know that he is Spider-Man and that his life is still continuing. Would it be so bad that Judge Rosenthal knew Matt Murdock was Daredevil, particularly to save his life? I, I think that should be just fine. Murdoch, but and and this is Peter David in a Spider-Man story, doing this to Daredevil. Like Daredevil has just a big a plot line and an arc going yes. on here as Spider-Man, and he's just writing away like I'm going to make Daredevil make all these questionable decisions and things like that. But it will come to a to a head when we get to the fourth part of this. Right now in part three. We have to discuss what happens there, and that's from December of 1985. Stanley presents Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 109, which is The Death of Gene DeWolf, Part 3. He Who Is Without Sin, by Peter David, Rich Buckler, and Brett Breeding. What a cover. Super intense. Nice job, Rich Buckler. Spider-Man standing on top of a building, holding Sin Eater with this very dramatic view from below. But let me get in the book. We begin with the news reporting that the priests and judges' murder were likely chosen because of their sympathy towards criminals and prison reform. As the news interviews activist and firebrand Reverend Jackson Tolliver, we see Peter take, talking on the phone with a cloth over his mouth. We wouldn't want to give away his voice, James B. <laughs> to lead investigator Stan Carter. Carter bemoans the bad press, and we switch to Marla... Uh, Jameson giving Betty Brant a call. Marla is jumpy and nervous alone from the recent spat of killings. J. Jonah and Ned, they're off at a conference, so she invites Betty over to her house. Uh, I also notice everyone is either looking for the Sin Eater or afraid of the Sin Eater in this book. He's on the top of mind for everybody. Yes. Uh, Spider-Man and Daredevil begin to search for the killer by separately going to the Kingpin. James B., I think the Kingpin says a lot about himself on page six of this book. Can we read that page? I'll be the Kingpin. All right, I'll be Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man has one line. 
He has two. Oh, sorry. He has two. Okay. He says, I cannot help you in this. I suggest you might check with the lower rungs of garbage that exist in the shadowy world of the criminal. Perhaps they have the information you want. Oh, I will, Kingpin. You're just my first stop. Make no mistake. I'm getting the monster who killed Jean DeWolf. I did not like Captain DeWolf nor Judge Rosenthal. They were both honest, and honest people bore me. But someone who kills priests, I have no truck with. Priest killers polarize cities, and such cities are harder to control. You may leave now, Spider-Man. And by the way, I trust you will not find it necessary to render any more of my guards unconscious on your way out. You might learn a few points of subtlety from your friend Daredevil. He merely knocked on the front door. Oh, this, this is great two pages with the kingpin. The part where he says, honest people bore me. That's the part that I think says the most about the kingpin. The people he wants to surround himself with and the people he wants to be associated with, too. With the kingpin too lofty to be interested in the Sin Eater, the two heroes independently go to Josie's bar. Spidey, of course, through the front window. But not even a lowlife crumb, Gerald Jablonski, knows anything. James B., I have two things I need help with. Are we supposed to know who Gerald Jablonski is? Uh, he's in 22 panels in this book, and I, I don't know where he's come yeah. from. It's because you and I are reading so many books at once so quickly at once. We don't catch all the little details. But this one I caught. Uh, at the beginning of the book, there's like a frame by frame of all different characters reacting to the news. I don't know if you saw that. They're talking to each other on the phone. Yes. Well, yeah. you know, it's like a trope to watch what the news characters are saying because things in movies that appear on the news, like you'd be watching the news and characters watching, you know, and they go, oh, there's a meteor that crashed into the Atlantic. And you're like, well, yeah. that's going to be important later. So the news reporter was providing clues that things are going to come back around. And one of them was, it said like, you know, today drug lord Gerald Jablonski was found not guilty due to incorrect evidence collection. It's on page three. Oh, and I'm like, okay. why are we hearing this story about this guy? And then all of a sudden, yeah. Oh, okay. So there you go. All right. My second one is there's the weirdest side story about a criminal Santa yep, Claus. Sure, sure. Book. So, Eddie, on this one here, uh, I have no idea what's going on with this. But it's a four-part <laughs> book. Maybe we'll resolve it in the final book. Okay. Um, having discovered nothing, Peter returns to the Bugle, where he is greeted by... Sin Eater. Sin Eater is looking to off J. Jonah, but he's not there. Joe Robbie valiantly distracts the ski mask wearing killer long enough for Peter to knock him out with a typewriter. At the local precinct, both Spider-Man and Daredevil are present to hear Sin Eater's confession. Daredevil immediately recognizes they have the wrong man, and the two heroes head to the apartment of the wannabe copycat killer. There, they discover next door that the actual Sin Eater is... Stan Carter, the lead police investigator on the case. Yeah, it's a good plot twist. A little strange. The copycat killer lives next door to the real killer and then heard Sin Eater talking aloud and decided 
to listen to the voices. That's how they became the copycat killer. But for a comic book, I completely approve, actually. Also, Joe Robbie risks his life pretending he is J. Jonah Jameson in order to save Marla. Spoiler, this will come up again. Uh, Both these story elements I really enjoyed. Daredevil and Spider-Man quickly determine that Carter is out and trying to kill J. Jonah at his home. Spidey immediately becomes alarmed as he realizes only Betty and Marla are at the Jameson residence. He uses Carter's phone to call Betty, and we see Betty pick up the phone as Sin Eater draws a bead on his helpless victim. Like a deer in headlights, Betty stares at Sin Eater as he blasts her in the chair. Why is it Daredevil and Spider-Man can't work together better in this book? The book ends with Sin Eater blasting Betty Brant in a chair. Yeah. Did you not re- like say I need to see what's happening? Did you not like I rush off to read one ten immediately? Definitely went to one ten immediately to see yeah, if Betty Brant yeah. was also getting. Well, you're killed. doing that to the you're doing that to the listener here. You're like <laughs> you're like he blasts Betty Brant in the chair, and then I'm you're like it as a cliffhanger, James. You didn't, but you just but your next segue is like, hey, why isn't the Daredevil and Spider-Man working well together? Like, can we can we? I know it's a cliffhanger. It's going to be two weeks before they find out it's true. what happens there. But From us, not unless they go and pick up the book right now somewhere. <laughs> usually there's a link in this podcast to like one of the books. All you have to do is click, you know, change it from 109 to 110. You can read it yourself. <laughs> but hey, I'm not going to answer your question. It's, it's rhetorical. So True. Unless, unless you want it, why don't you tell me why aren't they working better together? I don't actually know because they're plot device going to the same places it's just plot, more writing plot, for the writer plot. so it's just it's just plot device develop their characters it, it, it shows how each one of them is going to handle going to a place like daredevil walks into josie's bar as opposed to spider-man breaking through the glass right and daredevil <laughs> knocks and knocks on the kingpin's right. door and spider-man knocks out all the kingpin's henchmen to go talk to him right yeah so. i i think it says that daredevil matt murdoch is much smarter than spider-man is what it actually says. At least more clever. Eddie, I have an email to read on the air. Oh, I love emails, James B. Tell me about it. Okay. I mean, I love them too, but we get them so infrequently. But so anybody who, anybody, every email we've ever gotten, we've read. Let me just say that to people. You write it in, unless you tell me not to read it, I'm reading it. <laughs> okay. This is from Oliver Taylor in New South Wales, Australia. Oliver writes, will you review the, the Ultimate Spider-Man books? So, Eddie, I know you're the current Spider-Man expert after attending the Bowling Green, uh, you know, We could put that in quotations, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Just in case it's a refresher. I learned a lot of things. Sure. There's 160 issues of this run from 2000 to 2011, which is less than Peter Parker, less than amazing. Approximately the same amount of issues, not counting annuals, kind of, you know, as the uh, Marvel Tales. So it's, you know, it's, it's in our ability to cover it. I've, I actually own the first 50 or so, mostly in trades here. Uh, one more thing, this they're actually relaunching this, t- this title in the next two months. Okay. Oliver, it's not 616 universe, which means this is, you know, not the universe that our, our Peter Parker's in. So yeah. I think we would have to get through our, our current Peter Parker world first before I would even consider going back. However, if we're supposed to be Let's Read Spider-Man, in theory, once we hit the end, we would kind of look back at ourselves and go, what haven't we read yet? And then, you know, so uh, talk to me in like, you know, 2028 or so. (laughs) See what's going on with that. Uh, Thanks for writing it, Oliver. I'm so glad James B. is here, too. 
clarify when we're going to cover these things. He he's the man with the timeline in this podcast. That's for sure. <laughs> Eddie, do you remember our guest from Australia we've had on the show? Yes. Um, uh, I just I almost said Marla Madison. <laughs> <laughs> You, you mean you mean Smythe's daughter? <laughs> Smythe's daughter. <laughs> Inside jokes. Right? Marcy. No. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Super, Mar- Super Marcy. Super Marcy. So. That's who it was. Eddie, if you are in uh, New South Wales, Australia, or uh, somewhere else, and you wanted to write in to us, uh, how do you do that? You could email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail dot com, or click the link in this podcast description to join our Discord channel and connect with us through social media. Another person joined uh, Discord the other day. Woo! And then I got a friend request, but like the friend request was from someone who wasn't in like the Discord, so I realized it was like a spam one. Oh. So, but I got one, we got one new person in there, so that's all. It's <laughs> all right. So. Well, I'm James B., joined by Eddie. And remember, listeners, that Let's Read Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider Man, is a division of Let's Read Spider Man, a proud member of the Pacebot Patreon Podcast Network. The Pacebot Patreon Podcast Network is home to many great podcasts. One that might interest you is a podcast about who to trust. Join Peter Parker as he explains not to trust your professors or your best friends or even the cops because we're all supervillains. In fact, although I think you can actually trust the Kingpin, which is kind of weird. But listen to Who Can You Trust on the Pacepot Patreon Podcast Network. Goodbye. Bye. Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 110, which is going to come out in two weeks. It's, it's a really good book. Fantastic. I, I, it's my favorite one, I think. No. Wow. I'm just going to no. say it. It's my favorite one. Of the Peter Parker. Of the of Peter, the Peter Parker, Parker Spectacular Spider-Man's, yes. Yeah. I, I really like, I really like like 98. So yeah. maybe we'll, uh, maybe I'll refresh myself on 98 and put it up against 110, see which one's better. I, I thought 98, 99, and 100 with Felicia were right. absolutely wonderful. But there's aspects of how this book is written and how it kind of ties I know what up you like about it. So I know much. what you like. I so. know what you like about it. The most, <laughs> I know what you want. But we'll 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 cover that in the in the next.